Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Good morning. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text of the WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Of course, there's Facebook, and send your messages uh, for the attention of the Opinion Line. And, of course, Twitter, at Opinion Line 96. And follow our hashtag, hashtag OL96. Thank you to Deirdre for the last couple of weeks. And Fergal, and Katie, Nick, keeping the shop minded while I was away. Had a bit of fun. Had a bit of fun. I told you about that but briefly back last, last week. Bit, bit of crack up and down the country. But she's back now, back into a long, hard and dark old winter. Did he do the right thing? Well... Did he? Pubs, bars, hotel bars, nightclubs and casinos will remain closed. I want to know what you think. Did Michal Martin make the right decision last evening? Pubs, bars, hotel bars, nightclubs and casinos will remain closed. I don't need think I need to ask Professor Anthony Staines, did he do the right thing? Anthony, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Nice to talk to you again. I'm sure you think that he did do the right thing. I think he took a complicated decision in a difficult situation, but I'm not sure that it was entirely right. I I don't particularly see any great difference between pubs that serve food and pubs that don't serve food. I think nightclubs are closed for the duration, unfortunately. I don't think there's any way to reopen them and casinos for much the same reason. But the, pubs, uh, pubs serving food have been open for quite a while. And the majority of them are beha- are behaving themselves, running safely in accordance with the rules. There are a few chancers, and only a few, who are, are causing trouble for the rest of the industry. But the uh, opening the opening what they call the wet pubs, pubs that don't serve food, which are often smaller and are often family owned in rural areas, uh, I don't see they would have made much difference to the risks. But they had a choice to make. The the priority, I think, for the government, and I think rightly, is to get schools open and open safely. And the situation we're in at the moment is the number of cases has been going up. The amount of transmission in the community is still quite significant. And we're we're not in control of that yet. Mm. So it was kind of inevitable that they would make this decision. But it's very hard on the pubs, and it's possibly not entirely fair to them either. Well, they could well argue that while they were closed and doing what they were told, we had house parties all up the western seaboard and we have people, like you say, some people flouting the rules for the pubs that are already open. So to keep a few thousand businesses that haven't been part of the uptick, to Mm. keep them closed because of the uptick, seems very unfair in them. I think it, it is. I mean, part of the problem is the the regulation. The rules are quite clear. But, for example, in Belgium, where they have a very similar set of rules for pubs, if the, the guards come into your pub and find you breaking the rules in Belgium, two things happen. One is you get closed for a fortnight and you get an, an on-the-spot fine. So it's, it's like, you know, like a littering offence or a traffic stop. Whereas here nothing happens. And I have been told of, as I said, a small number, a very small number of folks that are just laughing at the law because they know that it will take a year or two years for their case to come to court. Mm -hmm. And by that time, you know, things will have moved on, things will have changed. 
And I think that they and they those pubs are putting their customers at risk, their staff at risk, and their whole industry at risk. I mean, house parties are certainly an issue, but a lot of the cases have not been traced to any particular event. So we, we haven't we've been lucky. I, I would agree with that. We haven't seen the kind of event they've seen in some other countries. Mm where 50 or 60 people go to a party and you get 40 infections out of it. Now, that, that is down to luck. There have been some crazy We, we did have one, didn't we, up the country where there was nine cases or nine infections came out of it. It had been a karaoke we, party and they got rid of the We had one, I think. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they were singing. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I've, I've seen uh, in my own area you know, 60th birthday parties with 50 people at them. So it's not just, it's not just young teenagers going mad. It's, it's it's running across all age groups, mm. and it, it's kind of important for all of us to have that message. But it's it's ourselves, our neighbours, our friends, and our families we put at risk. Yeah. And as long as the virus is circulating, we're kind of stuck. Mm. And my my biggest challenge to the government would be to say, well, we have a problem, which is the virus is going up. We've seen other countries. We've seen in the northwest of England there's actually a, a return to lockdown. There is. They're, they're talking about it in London. There's a lockdown in Victoria, in Australia, which is a very large and populous state. They're talking about a lockdown in Belgium. Yes. They're very worried about second waves in France. And we're not... We, we, have, uh, we have alternatives. We, we could be doing what they've what they've done done in Scotland, which is they're trying to drive the infection down to zero, and we we should be trying to do the same thing. Now, you're you're one of a number of voices raised in that direction recently. Mm. Uh, Professor Jerry Killeen, who's been on this program with me several times, is is, is similar in his yeah, opinion that yeah. you go for a zero COVID status. Now, is that possible if we I, have I, to keep an economy going as well, Anthony Staines? Well, I'd say, uh, first of all, the, the Americans have, re- have published a study in the last week which says, where does the economic damage come from? And they've done it at state and county level in the, in the US. And where the damage comes from is not the restrictions. It's not the lockdown. It's the circulating virus. People change their behaviour when they know the virus is around. And that's what drives the economic damage. It's the main driver. The second thing is we we might we might not get to zero, but we will certainly drive it down substantially. And driving this virus down allows the schools to open safely. And for for me, and I I, I think for the government, I'm not a spokesman, obviously, mm. but I think for the government, a, a, a very high priority is getting the kids back to school. And I, I think most people would buy into that. Anthony, if I was the Taoiseach on the phone to you now, if I was the Taoiseach on the phone to you now, and and, and not a a radio presenter, and I say, Professor Staines, I'm stuck here. I really want to get the schools back. We only have a month or so to do it. Give me two or three things that I could do and do now. And don't spare the horses. We're doing some of them now. So wider use of masks is really important and will, will make a big difference. Very clear advice on wearing masks in school. Very, it's not not the nicest thing to do all day. I've done it myself in my, in my own profession, but it will reduce transmission. 
a very serious increase in resources into testing, tracking and tracing of cases. Something like a green zone approach where we say, well, you know, for the sake of argument, Claire hasn't had any cases. I can't remember if it has or not. Let's suppose it hasn't. So Clare is a low risk area. We say to people, don't go into Clare unless it's necessary. And as we had a few months ago, when we were only travelling within our counties, and remember, we started with a two-kilometre restriction. Then we went up to the counties. So we say to people, only travel within your counties unless it's necessary. And people are grown up. You know, you, people are well able to judge themselves, is it necessary for them to travel further? If your job, as many many people in my neck, I live out in Dublin, many people in Dublin cross county boundaries, come from, maybe from Kildare, maybe from North Dublin, to essential jobs in the city. That's fine. That's absolutely grand. But we restrict, we, we curb our movements. There's loads of Dublin people, actually, you mentioned Clare, there's loads of people from Dublin and from Limerick and from Cork in, on holidays in Clare at the moment. Oh, I, and I sympathise with that. I mean, I'm, I'm actually hoping to go on holidays in Wexford today, as it happens. But it may be necessary to to curb that for particular areas. And the idea is you make these green areas bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you look at the country, quite large parts of it, there's very little case transmission. Yeah. So we could actually start this and very quickly get perhaps most of the country, but probably, being honest now, probably not Dublin, into a green zone. And we we move from there into Dublin and we try and bring transmission in Dublin under control. And it is down to all of us. And the other bit that we do, but a bit that's, that's later in the process, is we manage people coming into the country. Now, people will always say, well, what about the Northern Ireland border? Yeah. And I would always say, well, you live with what you've got. The Northern Ireland border is there. The North is doing very, very similar things to what we're doing. There's a lot of informal cooperation. There's a lot of sharing of knowledge and experience between North and South. And it's very much in the interest of the government on both sides to get this right down. We may not follow exactly the same path, but we're both if we're both heading in the right direction, we have a very good chance. And we get it to a point where what well, all that's happening is outbreaks. And people like me in public health, that's our bread and butter. Outbreaks. If there is an outbreak. Deal with the outbreak. In, we deal with it. Right. And it's, if, if supposing there's an outbreak in Ballyvaughan, we come in, we deal with it. It's a complete pain in the neck for everyone in Ballyvaughan and surrounding areas for a fortnight. But it's much better than being complete pain in the neck for everyone in the island of Ireland. You wouldn't envisage, or would it Would it be an utter disaster to be forced into a second lockdown? Yes. I, I've been talking to a lot of small businessmen. I've also had conversations, uh, unofficial conversations with people in ISME and, Le- and other organisations. And they all say the same thing to me. They say that the, bus- the small businesses are barely hanging on and a second lockdown will drown them. And we're getting the same message from the UK. A lot of small businesses in the northwest of England are folding their tents and going away. And bringing those businesses employ the majority of the population. They pay the majority of almost all of the taxes, except corporation tax. So most people work for a small business. Most of us don't work for a big public sector body or a big multinational corporation. Mm. Most of us work 
for a, a you know a, a DIY shop that has six people, a butcher's that has four, a pub that has seven, whatever. That that's that that's the reality for most people's jobs. Yeah. So we, 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 those businesses just literally cannot afford a second lockdown. So kind of a strategic green zone gradually expanding is what you're looking at. Just a question before I yeah. let you go, Professor Staines, on vaccines. And, and before I went away on, on holidays, I heard there was like 140 different experiments going on. And while I was away, I heard good news about Oxford and good news about China. And now there's news about, about Russia. Where are we on a vaccine? There's six vaccines starting into what they call phase three trials. So these are trials, if you like, in the general public. And they're the trials that will tell us if these vaccines protect against infection and if they're reasonably safe. If everything went, and, it is, and it's a miracle, this virus was only discovered seven months ago. Yeah. It is a miracle that we've got this far. But the, the truth is, and the vaccine specialists will tell you this, if if one of them works really well, it'll be a year, right? Before before it's available in quantity for the Irish public or the public anywhere. Yeah, uh, the history of vaccine development is littered with great vaccines that failed at this hurdle. Yes. Unfortunately, because vaccine development is really really hard. This is like this is like the Grand National approaching Beecher's Brook. Yes. Yes. In a in a thunderstorm, <laughs> right. So you know, we we could be waiting. Please God, we will have a vaccine in a year, but we could be waiting much longer than that. Right. And a year is a long, long time okay. if you're holding on in the small business. I know. All right, Wilson. Thank you for your time and your expertise as always, Professor Anthony Staines from the School of Nursing, Psychotherapy, and Community Health at DCU. Condenny, he's one of the publicans affected by the latest developments. Carmel, you hold on till I clear a break, and I'll talk sure. to you then. Thanks a lot. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. You're on the opinion line. Due to COVID nineteen, the big summer concerts are all off, but the biggest stars will still play this summer. One, two, three. The Backgarden Festival. It's a new online station that plays non-stop festival hits from the ultimate superstar lineup. Round the clock every day. The Backgarden Festival with Harvey Norman, your specialist in sound this summer. Get all the lowdown and listen live on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 On Cork's 96FM. The 14-day instance per 100,000 has tripled over the course of a month. Given these figures and the international trend of increased transmission, the government has made a number of decisions today based on the advice of NEFET. Firstly, and I know that this will come as a bitter disappointment to many people, pubs, bars, hotel bars, nightclubs and casinos will remain closed. Also, the current restrictions on numbers attending indoor and outdoor gatherings will remain unchanged. We will review the evidence again in three weeks' time. Con Dennehy, I think I saw you on primetime last night. You're not a happy man. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. 
No, I'm not very happy at all. No, mind you, we opened in the venue there uh, two weeks ago, but, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and under the rules and because we have a full kitchen and that down there, but we hadn't intended to open. We could have opened on the 29th of June, uh, but we didn't. We wanted to open as a as a as a regular pub, but unfortunately, we had to we had to open, and you know that was after the after the uh, the prime time thing. That's where it came from. But I, I, I mean, my heart goes out to the pubs that can't open. You know, I mean, there's little pubs there that uh, that uh, you know will probably never open again, and that's a shame and a disgrace, really. And I think you know that that that, that I think the government could have been more imaginative uh, in the way they approached this uh, thing yesterday. Uh, I, I, I heard with great interest your professor, eminent professor there before uh, talking to you before myself came on and he even suggested that parts of the country could have been could be opened up that don't have any COVID figures and uh, and, and the counties that have COVID figures uh, well they have, they'd have to be restricted for certain periods of time. See the I big problem you have not. with that Conan, the fear that people would have with that and let us just choose a town that people have heard of Kilgarvan, right? Mm-hmm. And a pub that people have heard of, the Healy Rays, right? Let yep. us just imagine you open a small country pub in, in any little little town or village across the country. What is to stop a gang of lads hiring a minibus going off on the piss down the country? Well, absolutely nothing, PJ, but it's, what is, it, it's happening as we speak it, with house parties. You, you know, with, there's anecdotal evidence. I mean, even you, you covered an issue, for instance, a few weeks back where a court case happened about, about uh, house parties in, in, the college, in the college area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, you know, this is happening anyway. You know, I think people are very mature and grown up at this stage. That, uh, you know, when we, when we were told that we had to stay within two kilometers of the house, we did, by and large, do it. Uh, except for the few that will always transgress, and no matter what happens, and are transgressing as we speak. But what we're doing is we're punishing, we're punishing uh, uh, the majority of people now in little bit in in, in rural Ireland in particular, uh, you know, because of the transgressions of, of people in Temple Bar in Dublin. That's that's what's happening. You're a former senior VFI official, uh, Con, so uh, you know the, the the needs and the wants and the, and the worries of publicans up and down the country. How are they going to handle this? How many of them will never open again? I think there's a huge percentage won't open anymore, and that's that's terrible. I mean, it's not just the businesses, the families, and the impact it has. It has an impact on the community. It has an impact on the culture life of Ireland, uh, uh, which will be irreparable. And I, you know, I think I think like the the, the broad swathe that the, the, the and the approach the government took to it was 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 just just not on. I mean, look, isn't it a fair I mean, argument though that you know, schools and education are more important than points. Of course they are, PJ. Nobody's arguing otherwise. What I'm saying is, look, that that that, that we we we've an issue and we've an issue with people coming into the country. The airports are wide open. There's nobody testing anybody. There's nobody tracing anybody. You know, we we've we've operated a trace system in the pub there now since we opened. Something we never had to do before. But everybody coming in has to sign. And there's somebody there on the door making them do that. Mm. Sign, wash your hands, wash your hands when you're coming out of the loo, all of that sort of thing. Have you had anyone yet say to you, come here, I'm not going anywhere. 105 minutes is only a guideline. You can't force me out. Well, to be honest with you, people are, by and large, saying, like, look, you know, I I mean, I'm here in about an hour and a half, so I better go. 
You know, look, people are people. People are very, very mature, PJ. To be fair, and I, and I must compliment people about that. You know, it's 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 the idiots that that will will have house parties. It's the people coming into the country and not, not and not uh, uh, cocooning themselves for fourteen days or whatever. Yeah. And and then the authorities, nobody following up on the on that. You know, these things. Look, look what happened in New Zealand. They shut it down. Australia, they shut it down. And, and 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 kept and kept it. Now it's harder for us to do it. I admit, because we're 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 our close closest neighbours and we're we're part of the EU and that. And it's 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 very hard. Well, you know what? Well, the it, EU won't let us shut down. Is what we understand well, from well-placed people in the Department of Foreign Affairs. The EU just wouldn't let us shut down or yeah, cancel. It isn't, it isn't just people coming in from the EU. There are people coming in. There are, there are flights every single day into Shannon and Dublin from from the United States. And, and even from places like Dallas and Chicago and New York, coming into coming into the country, the tourists are heading off down the country, and and and, uh, and, and nobody's tracing them. Okay, all right. You know, no. we'll know more in three weeks' time. Personally, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't I, be optimistic. I wouldn't I'm not be optimistic. optimistic either, PJ, but you know, a, a compensation package now has to be yes. brought, brought up by the government. They're calling on the government. To what do is that? that? Would would you be giving people a grant to cover the cost of adapting the premises? What would you do? Well, I think that I think it's a it's it's a grant to survive and and uh, and and, and uh, even not necessarily to well to adapt the premises as well, but to but but even you know there's ongoing bills. Every pub has ongoing bills. Insurance. There's light. There's 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 all sorts of maintenance issues in the pub. And and bear in mind the pubs are closed now. That by the end of August they'll be closed six months. Yeah. No no business can survive that picture. Okay, leave it there. Con, thank you very much, Con Dennehy, uh, 1850 715 Michael Collins, uh, independent TD for Cork South West. Michael, good morning. Good morning. Your, your brother has a pub. I spoke to him actually a few weeks ago. Your, your, your brother has a fine pub down in Bantry. He's an angry man at the moment. Rural area, you can see why people would be very upset and bothered by this decision. But at the same time, public health is public health. I, I, and public health is public health, and in fairness to the publicans, they, they would have been very, very fair and honest if they got that opportunity. Could you get a bit but, closer to your phone, Michael, if you wouldn't mind, please? Yes, indeed. I, I just said that public health is, is, is a huge issue, and it's one of great concerns to the people here in West Cork that people won't, you know, contract COVID. But the bottom line is I have two brothers with two pubs there, and many, many more publicans. I was inundated with calls last night of publicans in absolute bits. Even up until 12 o'clock, I had a visit of a publican, no family member of mine, to my house last night with the upset of the decision made. It was one of the worst decisions made by a teacher in this country in, in many, many, many years. And our rural independent group have met this morning. We're looking for an emergency meeting with Michal Martin, with Netflix, and the Minister for Health, because there's a clear, there's no understanding of a pub in rural Ireland. And the sympathies. Well, with the, with, in the statement that the teacher made yesterday, he said, I sympathise with the pulse and I sympathise. Sympathy won't pay any bill. Or simply won't keep a door open. And, and he said, on top of that, the sympathy didn't, he didn't continue to say, we see what the nightclubs are doing. To door. They, they must, and I said it a month ago, they must separate the nightclubs with the, with the, public, with the pubs throughout the country here, and the rural pubs in particular. And if they won't separate them, and they're continuously not, they don't want to separate them, and for whatever reason, I don't know, the Overact has been four years in government trying to shut the pubs, and Michal Martins has fallen. Hold on, no, hold on. He spent four years in government trying to shut the pubs. You better expand on that. They spent four years trying to bring in rules, laws, and legislation, and, and, and regulation to make sure that publicans' livelihoods were going to be destroyed. And they nearly succeeded, but by God, Michal Martin has just jumped on the bandwagon 
and he will close them. And today, last, last. Sure, what what does he stand to gain from that, Michael? Well, they, I, you see, they, they they have a different idea as to how rural Ireland works, and they simply don't have an understanding or don't want to. We try to meet with Nifted. We above them all. We should all be meeting them. Every politician in the country should be sitting around the table at some stage. But it's not Nifted's job to worry about your business. It's Nifted's job Nefert, to worry about it's, it's it's my job to worry about the businesses. There's fifty thousand. Uh, jobs attached to the to the pubs in rural Ireland, and it's not for my family's reasons I'm fighting. It's for the survival of every rural pub throughout this country. And and PJ, they are on the they're they're gone. Most of them are gone. They accept they're gone because instead of all the sympathy that Michael Magnus talked about in, the, in this in this um, announcement he made, he should have found at some pathway, some pathway to see what kind of funding is going to be available, what's going to happen. Okay. They have no idea where they stand. And public is there saying to me, sure, let's open the door. For the love of God, open the door and get a bit of fish and chips there and put a menu up on the table. Sure. At the end of the day, people, the, the coronavirus doesn't know whether you're eating dinner or not. Um, uh, when you're having a pint... Well, you see, Michael, the science is a bit different to that. When you're eating, the chances are you're not talking. Or if you are talking, you're not talking as loudly as you would in a crowded and busy pub. Therefore, the possibility of droplet infection is reduced. That's their argument, but my argument is... science, That's their argument, but my argument is that in the rural pub, they were going to be quite safe in a situation where four, five, six or seven people a day were going in and having a a nice peaceful pint and having a a nice peaceful uh, social distance chat. Right. That has that has been refused to them. There has been no uh, looking at, at a way around it. The, the bottom line is here: the problem is in Kildare and Dublin. Uh, I think it's four cases took the rest of the country yesterday, and the rest was in Dublin and Kildare. And the Taoiseach has decided we won't upset the people of Kildare. We will not definitely upset the people of Dublin. We don't give a damn about the rest of the people. And unfortunately, we were left in a dreadful situation here in rural Ireland, where fifty thousand jobs are, and many publicans have, have probably closed their door for the final time. I won't be reopened because of the decisions that have been made. Michael Collins, Independent TD for Cork South West. Thank you very much. 1850-715-996. His brother owns the Boston Bar, Fine Bar in, in Bantry. Actually, the brother was on with me before I went on holidays and he, I think he was in the news this morning as well. He's a very, very angry man. Dear, just telling me here she was in, in Bantry for the weekend. The hotel was full in both, both nights. Loads and loads of tourists down around Bantry and, and then Gareth and there are pubs down there that have started serving food that never did before. One thing I have observed, shall we say, I haven't been in one of these venues, but one thing I have observed is the number of pubs that have turned into pizza parlours where you actually go in and you sit down. Now you book your table and you have your time and your sanitizer and all of this and your contact details and then you get a list, a menu from the pizza parlour up the road. Pizza with pizza with points. Which apparently is, is, is okay as long as you've got what they call a HACCP certificate. Which you can't open a pub without one anyway. 1850 715 996. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Blackpool Shopping District. Thanking you for keeping local business going. Pure Cork. Pure local. Pure Blackpool. Cork's 96th. 
This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. I'm running a little Twitter poll on this at the moment, which I shared also and uh, retweeted through The Opinion Line. Twitter, whether you think that the Taoiseach made the right decision yesterday to keep the the pubs closed, roughly running about 60-40 in support at the moment. Good morning, PJ, says Margaret. It's sad for the publicans, but there's a pandemic and we have to be safe. Although people are travelling into the country, the rise in cases is not from travel. Compensation for the publicans? Hang on, taxpayers will have to pay that. Public health is a top priority. If they open the rural pubs, guess where people would go, says Margaret. But Kevin counters that, Margaret. He says, put a couple of locals on the door and they won't. So let's walk away, walk away. You're not from around here, walk away. Could you do it that way? I don't know. Paddy Riley is from Henshaw. He's just up the road from us here in St. Luke's. Paddy, good morning. Good morning. Now, you opened last week... Uh, yeah. and and you kind of well, your next door neighbours the wine tavern are, are, yeah. are doing food Like was that the only option open to you? It was at this stage other than that it was a massive investment to put in now the infrastructure that would be necessary so no we had to, we had to this is the only way we could do this You have to have a HACCP search to be able to do it don't you? You would, yeah. yeah. And you can hardly open a pub without one anyway these days, I think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're under fierce um, uh, guidelines anyway. So, like, I was just saying to your researcher there previous, I mean, there's there's 46% of the pubs in Ireland do less than 4,000 a week. And if you do the maths on it, they're, by and large, empty pubs. There's a few super pubs that do big trades, they can be easily uh, controlled. There's 800 hotels in Ireland, and between those 800, they do nearly as much as the 8,000 pubs. That's the reality of our trade at the moment. Yet we're being demonised and picked out here for this rising, um, uh, the rising cases. The only ones that's uh, doing this is the supermarkets, the low-cost selling that Micheál Martin was responsible for. They're the ones now that the young fellows are going in, packing their trolleys, going off under no uh, guidance, and living it. They've had enough of it. Yeah, but you could argue as well, Paddy, that, that Texas was doing all right, thank you very much, until yeah. they opened the bars. Now look at Texas. Well, no, I think in fairness, to compare us to America, I think we, we closed before anybody asked us to close. We were ahead of the curve. We are a more intimate society in Ireland, more parochial. We know our customers. We're not going to go down that road of yahooing around the place and allowing that. We were set up and given a license so that drink could be controlled in this country. Yeah. And now we're being dished by the very same legislator that set us up in the first place. If you saw a minibus full of lads arriving up to St. Luke's Wouldn't next time. Wouldn't I'm happen. just saying if you did. If you saw yeah. a minibus full of lads yeah. arriving up to St. Luke's mm. next Saturday night looking for a feed and a few scoops and charging it, would you let them in? No. We're only dealing with locals here. We're not going for... We're, this is not the time to make money. This is time just to pay our bills. That's all it is. There's no money in this until next year when we can st- hopefully start reopening. Mm. This is only a survival exercise now. Pay our bills, bear over it. You don't, nobody knows what it's like. We, we, there's this ad out there, we're all in this together. Nobody knows what it's like when you get this phone call for energy. Will you please pay a bit off your bill? Guinness, will you put a little bit more into the contribution towards what we owe our Heineken? Those phone calls that come in. 
these people too are, are, are hemorrhaging money as well. Mm-hmm. We're not in all of this together. The only people that are in this, as I can see it, is top class civil servants with 200,000 a year wages, in inflated pensions, and they're putting out these stories, we're all in this together. Did you have a group outside the pub Saturday night with music going and all that? We didn't have the music. That was a bunch of buskers. And they were people that have no money. And they went around the tables then asking for money. That's how they got paid. Are you okay with that? They were off the sideline. There was, there was a social distancing going on. God almighty, if we can't even have a guitar session. <laughs> the yeah. lads were looking for a few pence. Yeah. yeah. God, it was the most harmless. And it was an atmosphere there. With, it was like being in the south of France. It was a beautiful atmosphere. It was a lovely evening. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think is going to happen next? I mean, you're, you've got your work around now, and presumably you'll be allowed to keep doing it, because they could, they could start clamping down, you see. Oh, they can. They, they can. I mean, what did John Hume say? We, we might be, it might be the government, but it's not our consent. We have no choice in this. Obviously, we're going to obey the laws of the land. Uh, that's not what we're about. It's actually the people that are coming out here and uh, selling uh, below cost, selling drink, advertising another way of life uh, that is creating this pand- uh, the upsurge in this pandemic. Why don't they go and visit these places? Why don't they stop that? I mean, what, what is it that they're afraid to say to the supermarket, you can't come along and sell those cheap drinks and, uh, at this price uh, and, and, and encouraging uh, congested places in private houses with no social distancing? That's what's leading to the upsurge. Yeah. People, people, young people are, are walking out of this. They're walking and they're, they're, they're doing their own thing. This has gone on too long. This could have been sorted out in the first two months. How? But they've got drip. How? Well, they could have enforced that lockdown really rigorously, like initially in the Bermondos, what they call that city, they could have easily done that and then slowly but surely start reopening again. They didn't. They let this meander and meander and meander on and on and on, drip, drip, drip. And now it's coming to people's livelihoods. It's now spread. Cracks are starting to appear in the fabric of our society. And this has been because the government did not take uh, decisive action. They hemmed and hawed over masks. Uh, uh, social gatherings it, it, it was, it's just the nursing homes they've just absolutely got it all wrong and they're wondering why they're in, under political pressure and why they're not getting the votes for, for, from the people in this country I mean how Neil Martin is offering is the same old same old he, he has nothing to offer with drabness there's no Lamas there's no Whitaker there's no Hume there's no vision there whatsoever where, where this country is going except more and more of the same all right, leave it there. Paddy, thanks very much. Paddy Riley from Hench, he's just up the road from us here in St. Luke's. You talk about music in the open air. I, I I don't see a problem with a couple of buskers outside this pub if everything is socially distanced. And like you said, these poor devils are trying to earn a crust. It was at a very enjoyable, properly socially distanced stay in your own space event last Saturday night down at her friend's house in Carrigaline in Dunoan where... Anthony Megan and the Love, Love, Love Bugs band gave a performance in Anthony's driveway. It was brilliant, but everyone stayed in their own little pod, if you want to use the word, and there was no dancing we're talking about, and everyone kept their distance, and it was lovely. It was wonderful, and I'll bet you there wasn't a problem in the world with regard to, to COVID-19 down there. So people busking outside it on a nice evening, I wouldn't be too bothered about it at all. Councillor Sean O'Donovan took over a very, very well-known pub, a beloved pub, the Admiral Drake in Crosshaven in February, and you haven't been able to open it yet, Sean. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Still closed, are you? Still closed. 
still closed, um, ready to open, but just not not allowed with the new laws yesterday. How did you feel about it last evening? Um, I was very disappointed, obviously. Um, I put a huge amount of, of money into this project in Crosshaven. Um, initially, we were hoping to be open for Patrick's again, but that didn't happen. So my my plan was doing food. I put in the kitchen there, and my plan was doing food up until around 3 o'clock, and having a normal normal pub, we'll say, after that without serving food, but that isn't going to happen now. So I've got to sit down now with my accountant and stuff today and go through figures and see how many extra staff and if it's possible to do food for maybe a longer period in the day. I just I just don't know where I am at the minute, Peter. Any hope of tying in with a local food outlet? Like, for argument's sake, Chish and Phipps aren't a million miles from you there? They're not, and, and their food is very good. Um, but I suppose what I'm hoping to do is create an offering that the pub will serve itself yes. um, I, I just don't really I wouldn't really be happy with bringing in food from another place into and there's, there's implications with the health board and stuff there as well you know if someone gets food poisoning you know if, if you're bringing food from somewhere who's responsible is it, is it I'm responsible or is it? I, I'm glad you brought that up because I know that um, I said Paddy Cribben in the Vintners Federation explained to me before I went on holidays that actually if you have a HACCP cert you're okay to do this, but and every pub probably needs a HACCP cert to, to open anyway. But there again, if the problem, if if the food comes in from outside, your HACCP cert ain't worth the paper it's written on. It's not. It's not the very same as it before. If you booked a, a party in a hotel or whatever, you're allowed to bring in your own sandwiches or whatever. But that doesn't happen now. You're not allowed to do it because of the risk of cross contamination and all that. You know, and the hotel can't be held responsible. Mm. Um, but I suppose the worrying thing is is reading through what the statements coming out last night from Michal Martin. Um, it's he's saying any pub that has a food license is allowed to stay open, but. That kind of is different to what the last the guidelines were. Was if you were serving food, and so now, if you have a food license, you can stay open. But a lot of these pubs have opened and they don't have a food license, and they were told they didn't need a food license. So it's just changing day by day, and that's that's the most frustrating thing about yeah. it. You know, you you also wanted to point out to us the the knock on that it's not just your pub and your staff and 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 your it's not a big knock on problem here. There's huge knock-on problems. PJ, I had a pub in Bandon for 13 years. I opened in the morning at half 10, and the first 10 customers that day and every day to me were people living by themselves. They took in turns bringing their biscuits and their apple tart or whatever. I made the tea or the coffee, and it was conversation. I made no money out of it, but I was very happy to have them in the pub because that was the only outlet that some of them had, that the, the only people they'd meet maybe for the day, and they catch up with the local news and read the newspaper and stuff, and... It was a social outing for them, you know. It was zero profit for me, but I was very happy to be able to to keep them people entertained and let them meet people to have a chat, you know. Where do you see this going, Sean? Uh, there, there was a very worrying tone from the T-shirt last evening that, you know, he couldn't guarantee the pubs would even be open by Christmas. Mm. It's a huge worry, I suppose, for anyone in the, in the trade. Um but I really think that we should be given the opportunity to to show that we can run a responsible house. We have a license we have to go to court for. Um, we've given our word and the Bible in court that we're going to run our house uh, to the best of our ability. And there's the risk of of losing your license if you don't. And I think that really should should be um, should be looked at as well to let us open. There's other businesses open. So I can't see why we can't. Mm. As the other speakers were saying to you this morning, off licences, you can go and buy a bottle of vodka or a slab of beer or whatever for 20, 25 euros. Mm. You can go into your house and you can drink it all night. You can fall down the stairs and cause trouble and all the rest. 
there's no regulation whatsoever. But when you're in a licensed premises, it's the Republican's responsibility to look after you and the rest of the customers there. And we're just not being given the chance. All right. Leave it there. Sean, thank you, Sean. Councillor Sean O'Donovan, new owner of the much-loved and much-missed Admiral Drake in Crosshaven, hasn't been able to open it yes brian says most pubs this on whatsapp are open that don't normally serve food but now they're ordering it in from the likes of pizza takeaways i mentioned that a while ago uh, so they can open and sell alcohol is that allowed or is it defeating the purpose technically if they have a hassup cert it's okay i mentioned the, the risk of bringing food in from outside who if someone gets sick then how do you who do you blame for the food poisoning well that's the the, the difficulty but the quality of stuff coming in and the quality of packaging is very good as well these days. So it's, it's a hard one. Tom Barry was on to say, hi, Tom. Regarding the pubs, we're now looking at it five months of a closure. He thinks Michal Martin has something against pubs because he brought in the smoking ban as well. It effectively closed thousands of them. It should be one for all with the sale of alcohol. All of them should be treated the same. And Tom doesn't even drink. 1850 Eileen, good morning. Hi, how are you? Good, good. You think that the pubs in the... Uh, this is kind of what Anthony Staines was saying, the professor, that pubs in, in areas with very low COVID numbers will be allowed open gradually and carefully. Yeah, well, I think, you know, a little bit of cop on wouldn't go astray in this one, really. I mean, it's quite obvious to everybody where the main cases are. And there's a huge amount. We have There is rural Ireland, and it is a big thing. Anyway, to be honest, I think all the pubs should be allowed open under strict restrictions, not just some, but anyway, the rural side of it, I just think it's um, desperately unfair, really, for a lot of people. This is the only social outlet they have, the only chance they have to meet people, speak to people, and it's, it's going to have a massive impact on mental health of so many that I just feel, with a small bit of cop on, a bit of organising, it's not rocket science to open these bars. Like, they don't need to be open all hours. They can close them early, but just give people a chance. But why, why, if that is the case, and a lot of people would agree with you. Why do you think that Neffet, which is in charge of public health and safety, why is Neffet so nervous about taking a chance on even restricted opening of pubs? Remember, well, this isn't the Taoiseach's decision. He's acting on the advice of Neffet. Yeah, but come on now, who's in charge? At one point, does someone not have to have the courage to take control as well? Um, like, in fairness, a lot of the decisions haven't been right all along. You know, I have a lot of issues with what they've done. Some of it has been great, but I mean, when it comes to protecting the Irish people and ports and airports and borders and all the rest, it's been a disgrace. Um, so I do think if we, had, if we protected Ireland the way we should have from day one, which is not allowing every randomer arriving to our shores without being tested, without being checked, not checking up on any quarantine, which I have personal proof of, people coming into the state who didn't even get a phone call to check where they, where they were yeah. staying or if they a were finding A lot of that going around and anecdotally, so to if be we fair, did yeah. do that properly and if we did protect the Irish people, then we would have no issue whatsoever in opening the pubs and the schools and everything else. So who's making these decisions? What brains do they have? I just don't get it. Instead, our economy is falling apart. The mental health system is going to be completely overrun. The kids are struggling massively. I just don't get it. You know, it's, it's not rocket science to me. I'm not, a, I'm not a politician, but, but you know, I do have a brain, I think. And it's not that hard to work out, protect ourselves. We're an island. I know we have our issues because of our connections with the UK and that. But where's the army? Where are all these people that could be helping protect us so that our economy can actually thrive? I mean, it's a lot easier for us to do this than it is for a hell of a lot of European countries who have other countries on every side of it. And, and to be fair, people talk an awful lot about the border that we have on, on, on the island. And it's there. I drove over it in the last couple of weeks. 
Yeah. You don't you don't even know it's there now, by the way, in case you're ever wondering. You wouldn't even know it's there. All you see is a sign saying the speed limit is now in miles per hour. They're doing so why, be- why isn't that being protected? They're doing know? better up there than we are, realistically. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do think at one point the government is the person who's supposed to be ruling the country. So I do think they do have to use their own initiative as well and come up with some kind of a, a plan that works. But maybe first and foremost, really seriously, this could be going on for for the next 12, 24 months. I just think we need to take a back step here and really start protecting the Irish people and get our economy back, get our kids and our older people socialising. It's just wrong on so many levels. Eileen, thank you for your call. 1850-715-996. I wanted to start this earlier and I forgot to do it. I'm only back. Give me a break. Um, I want to do a quick text poll. We'll do it now for maybe 15 minutes. Having listened to the various contributions here this morning, do you think the Taoiseach has done the right thing in keeping the pubs closed? Text yes if you think he has. No if you think he hasn't. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. A simple one. We'll run it maybe until after the 10 o'clock news. Text yes if you think he has done the right thing. No if you think he hasn't. Uh, text or WhatsApp to 083 396 96 96. Morris via WhatsApp says, Hi PJ, the public are missing the elephant in the room here. And people should really have listened to Minister Donnelly last night when he said there are eight clusters they've encountered over the past week. Four in meat plants and four in direct provision centres. Why are we not talking more about that aspect of it? There was also a pet food factory, wasn't there, where they found a number of of cases, and they're all up around Kildare and the Pale, generally, is where the main problems are. Uh, yes, uh, people are very mature, says this message, until they've alcohol consumed. Young and old, we'll all let it a bit loose. That's why we even have a few points. Sure, we're only human. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Good morning, 1850-715-996 is the number to call. A text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. We're just compiling the result of that text poll. Uh, interesting to see where it's going to go. I know that on Twitter, I've been running one of my own page, at PJ Coogan, and we also shared it on the Opinion Line Twitter last night. And that's pretty much 60-40 in favour of Michal Martin, saying he was right to keep the pubs closed. It'll be interesting to see how how the, uh, and that, that poll's still running by the way, how the Twitter poll or text poll goes here on the show this morning we're just counting them up, we'll have them in a moment. The uh, email for the show opinion at 96fm.ie we're on Twitter, as I said, at opinionline96 with the hashtag OL96 and you can contact us through Facebook, the Cork's 96fm Facebook page. Caller says the day of the pubs is gone, this is going to be the last nail in their coffin you can meet people on the internet now also thinks the publicans are being very irresponsible. People will get coronavirus from going to the pub. Florence wants the pubs closed 100%. Close them and close the restaurants as well. Someone else then says, instead of looking at off-license, etc., he should look inwards to his own cohorts, the greedy ones that flout the rules as exposed on prime time. They only show a few of probably many who was that now? Oh, yes, that's one of the other publicans that was on. And, and uh, Brian, most pubs that opened are don't normally sell foods. Now they're ordering in pizza from outside. Yeah, that is that 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 is happening. But you know, we've been, we've been across that with the Vinners Federation. They're not actually breaking any rules. They've got to serve food. You can only have a hundred and five minutes in there. You got to be gone in that time. You got to have table service and all of that. Anyway. 
Uh, Deirdre was talking about this yesterday, and, and it's been a thing in the papers while I was away, uh, and it's a very big issue on the north side of Cork City, and that is the closure of Mount Cara, also known as Cara House, up there on Redemption Road. It's going to close after 30 years, and it's citing the challenges of COVID-19 and, and lesser occupancy as its main reason, reasons behind the decision. Deirdre was going through its funding structures yesterday. It's not on fair deal. It it gets funding from various sources, but its main funding is from respite. And because, of course, respite hasn't been possible during COVID-19, that money's gone. So they have a low occupancy and they've no money coming in. So they have said that they will close after 30 years and a lot of very sad stories in the Echo particularly and I heard some of them here on the on the programme yesterday about people up there for many, many years and the question has been asked, where are they going to go? Where are these people going to go? Paddy O'Brien, my old friend, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, PJ. You must be across this story from the start. You'd know Moncara House quite well. I know Moncara for many, many years. I was, in fact, at the um, official opening back in 1977, and I always remember that Bishop Murphy commented made at the official opening, he said that the lights are to open a home on the north side, and hopefully we will have a, a power house in every parish for the future. Mm. The situation now is that if this closes now, we want any power house. Now, I think it's an appalling situation that it's been closed. One of the greatest problems throughout this country at this present time is the lack of long-term care for elderly people. The lack of elderly care, it's so bad that the relatives of people who are on waiting lists, every night they buy the echo and they buy the examiner and look at the death column yeah. to see if there are any deaths. And the phone is ringing at that particular home there for two weeks. Now, in relation to the occupancy, I have to confess that I I, I, I don't know how 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 would be one quite honestly, but I think it was a decision taken. It wasn't that it was the lack of um, people looking for homes because people are looking for homes continuously. We have twenty five beds up there, and the critical thing about everybody, people who are suffering at the moment are the residents, mm. the staff, and the families, and it, it's not an easy thing to cope with. There's one lovely lady up there on Mrs. Lynch last week. She spoke at Neptune. Her father is up there. Sorry, her mother's up, my apologies. Her mother's up there, 100 years of age. Now, to to ask to put people into a different environment, the worst thing you can do at that age group. It's the worst thing you can do. I would, on on 96 of them this morning, I would make a very, very special appeal to the HSC to show a bit of compassion at this point in time. Mm. I know that they're in grave walk with the, with the, with the virus, but show compassion in this case. Do not send people out of that home. They say, I think but, the HSE are saying, they doesn't conform to our structures for a home right. of this kind, so therefore we won't fund, we won't take it over. Right, right. But I don't accept that at all. I don't accept that at all. I admire the great work that the HSC are doing throughout the country for the elderly. But I would say take it over and, and, and put it in a situation where it would conform to, to, to their levels. Um, I think that people who are now in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and 100s, the people are devastated. 
The people yeah. absolutely devastated. Yeah, for open hostage. And I think that everything, everything, everything must be done. I mean... Because you're, you're there in a place like that, aren't you, Paddy? Because you can't mind yourself or your family can't mind you at home. You're there because you need to be there. You're there, yes. And I, I, you know, I, I, just, I was okay. I'm a regular visit to Copper House. I did uh, afternoon concerts on there for years and years and years. I ran the over 60s and three events there. We always had representatives from Copper House. And what struck me forcibly, every time I went to visit Copper House, the people always find happy. They're happy and they're smiling and they're chatting to each other. They come down to breakfast in the morning. They sit at the same tables. The food is always lovely. I've had the food up there myself. It's lovely. They go back into the uh, what I call a, a beautiful parlour. I wouldn't call it a community room. They hold up their old friends. They have a lovely oratory there. You go in and pray in the church. It's from home to home. And for any organisation to transfer them now to a, a different area, a different location. It's heart, heart, heartbreaking. Mm. It is heartbreaking. And I'm repeating myself here, PJ, for the residents, the staff and the families. And what is regrettable, that I've already outlined to you how serious the situation is yeah. in long-term long care. <clears throat> and people from Cork are being sent out to Bandon, <clears throat> excuse me, from Oi, Mallow and Kinsale. Um, I know no, it's awful. <coughs> Excuse me. You're okay, Paddy. You're okay. You're okay. Um, look, you clear your throat there. You're grand. So your your point there is to the HSE. Look, for goodness' sake, regardless of what you say, step in. Don't let this place close because these people have nowhere to go. Exactly. That, that's that's the situation. Right. And I just want to cough for a second there. You're, you're grand. I, 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 I trust. I trust it's not the kind of cough we should be terrified of. Uh, no, 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 no. Good no. man. You're, actually, I, what I, happens I, is, is that John, I think. I mean, I don't accept most of the conformity and the HSE talking about that at all. Just briefly, while I have you, Paddy, how have you been through through all the of, of the last few months? I take it you were cocooning, so you weren't able to get around your your usual work. Uh, how, how have you been doing? Oh, good, grand. Okay, okay. Um, the thing is that what I'm only concerned about really would be the people out in the community who are living alone. Yeah, the loneliness. And, uh, you have been a little bit about that. that na- yeah. Neighbours are very good, and I think in years to come, when people look back on. This year, 2020, they'd speak about uh, the virus. They'll also speak about the kindness of people, the generosity of people, the people knocking on doors yeah. and asking for help, and yeah. people made a lot, a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of friends. We, 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 we saw it. We saw it every day on the show. The generosity of people towards That's towards right. others every day over the last couple. Of Listen, I wish I wish you well. Go look after that cold, um, Paddy, and and thank you very much, Paddy O'Brien. Um, has called openly on the opinion line on 96FM this morning, called on the HSE to put whatever differences it has with the Cara House system aside. Just take it over. Don't let this place close. 25 people in there, where are they going to go? And as Paddy said, there's already a huge shortage of beds for people like that anywhere. Uh, Councillor Mick Nugent is planning a vigil. Uh, Mick, good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. Paddy's point is a strong one, isn't it? Look, whatever differences the HSE may have with the way uh, Cara House is, is, is run, that can be sorted across a table. Uh, you would think so. And I'll report some hickway early in the year. Seems, you know, seems to be fairly positive. Um, relatives of residents who are there, 
have a very positive experience interaction with the facility and the staff there. So surely, as you say, this could be ironed out if there is any issues. And what some of the relatives are saying is, you know, they're being asked to look at facilities as far away as Yall, um, which we're being told where people could be sharing rooms and bathrooms. So it just doesn't make sense, PJ, that you could be asking people, one resident 100 years age, maybe move as far as y'all or other areas. just doesn't make sense, you know. So when is the vigil on and who are you hoping will attend? Yeah, the vigil is, and we are out last night just letting um, the residents around Redemption Road know, it's 7 o'clock uh, this evening. So it's a general invitation, really. Obviously, staff members will be there, uh, relatives of residents in Moncara, Cara House will be there. And I think the general public across um, the north side, perhaps further afield, will we'll gather there, I think, to show their support mm-hmm. and uh, for this facility to remain open, PJ. Like the HSE already, I take it, I, I understand, gives it some funding. So really, there's a start there to be made if you get some kind of a, a deal put in place for them to take it over. Exactly. City Council has funding there. That remains there. Um, and you're talking about a facility that's in the middle of a community. And like my understanding was the whole public health policy was about having facilities in local communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, you know, and I think, I think people are kind of, you know, just bemused or just don't understand real. And it seems to have been mixed messages all along up to now, um, even from the board itself, why this facility would, um, would, have, to, would have to close and has caused tremendous upset for many people for no real reason as far as I can see um, PJ so I think uh, people are determined to put up a fight on this one you know Okay well we'll see where it goes Mick thanks very much that's uh, Sinn Féin councillor Mick Nugent just quoting from the echo of a couple of days ago uh, the board of Mount Cara said the decision to close wasn't taken lightly Uh, they said they'd taken the hard decision to begin the process of winding down Mount Cara in a planned format. All staff had been fully briefed. They've been in contact with residents' families and will continue to keep them informed. The new challenges posed by COVID-19, along with the reduction in occupancy, have led to this decision. It complies with nursing home standards, but it's not covered by the Fair Deal scheme. And there seems to be some... Is there some starting point there for a deal to be done? for HSE to just take it over and make sure that it stays open. Tom says it's a total disgrace this was allowed to be shut down. And Collis says also there's another residential care centre, St Vincent's, not far from Cara House, and for the past three years, the HSE have taken over and the pensions and other benefits are a mess. The residents have no family, only us. I think we've talked about Vincent's at one point or other on the programme. The details have kind of escaped the old cow now at this stage, but we did... On the matter of the pubs, or not really on the matter of the pubs, that massive explosion in Beirut yesterday, thousands of tonnes of a very explosive compound that were apparently uh, confiscated off a ship in 2013, sitting in a warehouse in Beirut in the port for the last number of years, despite all warnings to get it out of there. Yesterday afternoon blew up. Death toll is, what, 70-something now? Thousands of people injured. Devastation in the port of Beirut. That massive, massive explosion. It was horrifying. Horrifying. It looked like a nuclear bomb. 
until we found out what it was. Um, Nicola was on to say that uh, a quick text after the explosion in Lebanon all Irish soldiers are safe and well never a mention she she for our own my husband is over there they're never mentioned for the risks they're taking by being there more on the news about the bloody pubs get a grip people well personally I, I, I take your point Nicola I, I've been to the Irish camp in, in Lebanon a few years ago now but I went to Camp Shamrock, and it's nowhere near Beirut. It's, if I remember rightly, it's the bones of an hour's drive down the coast uh, through Tibnin. So the Irish are not affected by this if they're in their camp in Shamrock and in their general patrol area around Unifil. So that's kind of why I didn't bring the two together. But thanks for bringing it to my attention, Nicola. And indeed, we do. There's nothing to say that some Irish guy, some Irish soldier, or other might not have been visiting. Beirut on, on an afternoon's leave, which is true. So our thoughts are with them. Thank you for that. 1850 Top 10 things that staff want their boss to do, okay? Doing something as simple as bringing a coffee to your staff. Yeah. Your boss saying thank you in a public email. Uh, when a boss asks for your opinion before making a decision, what do you think we should do? Uh, when you get taken out for lunch, it's fantastic and everything's paid for it. Unless your boss is an assassin. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks. Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Corks 96 FM. I forgot there to mention the figures. The result of our text poll which we ran for about 15-20 minutes there about whether or not you think the Taoiseach was right yesterday to keep the pubs closed I said text yes, if you thought he was text no, if you thought he wasn't the yeses have it the eyes have it as they say 52% versus 48% of those who sent text or whatsapp messages believe that Michal Martin did the right thing yesterday. 1850 Also on text, a point being made here. There seem to be groups of people hanging around bookies both outside and inside in some cases, not observing social distancing. Become very good at watching one another and shaming each other a little bit. Sometimes it might just be necessary. What's going to happen though on Monday when we have to wear a mask in a shop or a shopping centre? Now it's recommended that you do but they're compulsory from Monday. What happens if you turn up in a shop and you've forgotten your mask? Do you have to go home and get it? I was in Tesco this morning early and inside the door of the Tesco, they now have packets of masks on a desk next to the hand sanitizer just in case you've forgotten one. That's all happening from next week and I've no doubt we'll get to it 1850-715-996 I didn't see the show uh, Orla but you did quite a long Instagram post about it good morning to you good morning TJ how are you good Thanks good for good me on. Uh, delighted to do so now I, I know about Brian Kennedy's new song and, mm-hmm. and, and the intention of it and I know mm-hmm. there, there mm-hmm. was this program on, on, on Virgin Media mm-hmm. uh, to support mm-hmm. it tell me a yeah. bit more about what got to you Okay, so I was just 
getting ready. I was just up in my room, potting around, and I had Virgin Media on the background, and I'd always have Iron Day on. They've kept me company every day through lockdown and whatever, and it was great. So they had Brian Kennedy on, and obviously, as I said in my post, the the, mean, the intention behind the whole segment was very well-meaning. That, that's just, that's to, just for people who wouldn't have the background to this. Yeah. So a little he, bit of background. He, um, he has a song called Best Friends, and he basically teamed up with Downton and Cork and they wanted to kind of highlight the plight with lockdown restrictions being eased and um, just the vulnerability of the Downton and community. And they released this video just to shine a light on the community as a whole and to sort of remind people that while everyone kind of wants to be getting back to some kind of normal, the virus is still around and this community would be in the high-risk category. Yeah. So it was more to shine a light on that and to... You know, his intention was, you know, don't forget about the Downton community and, you know, we're here and while everyone wants to get back to normal, we, this community in particular are categorised as a high risk. Yeah. So what happened that troubled you in the course of the programme? What troubled me was, I, I have a son with Down syndrome. He is nearly three. He's three in October. So since he's been born and prior to him being born, I was doing a lot of research and reading a lot on down syndrome and introduce myself to different communities even worldwide in america and everything and i just was very aware of language that the community preferred to be used or um what is kind of acceptable and maybe not acceptable nowadays so i heard brian say to um the two hosts were simon delaney and anna lovely people love them uh, generally always you know are great and he simply said to them, you know, have you ever met a Downs? Okay. So straight away, I kind of turned and Problematic. looked at the screen and I said, that didn't, that actually didn't just happen, did it? And then he went on to kind of say, well, I don't know what he said first, but he said then, oh, did you ever meet a Downs? They're the happiest bunch of people. Just this massive sweeping generalization. And I stopped in my tracks and I kind of went, no. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This isn't, first of all, is this on national television? Is this 2020? But, but break it down into two pieces there, Orla. Okay. The yeah. first of all is, have you ever met a Downs? Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. now, his inference was, obviously, and I'm well aware of what he intended to say or what he meant, his inference was, have you ever met a person with Down syndrome? Yes. PJ, what he said was, have you ever met a Downs? Mm-hmm. Now, even to me, I'm not an English literature student or anything like that, but that to me doesn't even make sense as a sentence or a question. Like, have you ever met a Downs? I just, it's just, I'm, I'm shocked that someone... Like, like how would you refer to, the, to, to Harry? Harry has Down syndrome. I mean, if you were describing your well, son, first Harry... first of all, I would refer to him as Harry. Of course you would, Harry. yes. So that's it. If I was talking about him in a discussion with referring to his condition or his diagnosis, I would say 
this is Harry, he has Down syndrome, my son has Down syndrome. Okay. Okay. So I just find when people refer to the condition or the diagnosis first, it just totally takes away, it dehumanizes them, it totally okay. takes away from the fact that he's a boy first or a person or whoever we're just talking about. Mm, mm. They're a person first. Down syndrome doesn't define them. It's not everything they are. It's a part of them. It's something that they simply have. It's there was an old way of expressing it too, and I know this because my, my, my late and, and much beloved sister-in-law, Evelyn, um, mm-hmm. had Down syndrome. Oh, okay. And, and she would have been referred to as so-and-so, ha- uh, you know, she, your Down syndrome daughter. Yep. Or someone's yep. Down syndrome daughter, or you might refer yep. to someone's yep. Down syndrome son. Yep. And it always jarred me a little bit. Hang on a second. Yep. She's a child first, or a daughter first, exactly. or a son first. Yep. Like my, my son, yep. my son is on the spectrum, right? My right. son has autism. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that mm-hmm. it doesn't define him. Yeah. It's yep. part of him. And it's the very exactly. same with Harry. Harry's Down syndrome is part yep. of him. Yeah. It's not him. It's not, it's like I drive a black car. I have a black car. If people, everyone I knew started describing me as the black car lady and that's all I started to become known as, people would soon forget that I was Orla or I was something else other than the black car. Do you know that kind of way? So putting it before the person, it just... Would you accept though, Orla, that people who used, used perhaps in the past or maybe still use those, don't do it with the intention to cause any hurt or pain. Absolutely, it's just a use of words. And, and that certainly, yeah. certainly Brian didn't intend that. No, uh, listen, and the whole, the whole segment was well-intentioned and well-meaning. It's just, I feel, it's 2020 now. There's, there's words in the English language that we used to use 20 years ago, nothing to do with Down syndrome or anything like that, but there's words that were acceptable 20 years ago that you wouldn't dream of using now. So I just hope that we're getting to that stage. We're not there yet, obviously. Yeah. But we're getting to that stage now where if you hear something and it's not okay to use it in this day and age, it is dehumanizing. It is, you know, it's just not nice. Mm. Person first is more respectful, I think, to the community. And well, well, if you know, if your if your granny if your granny has diabetes, you don't refer to her as my diabetic granny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. come come back to the happiness thing that that bothered you big time. <laughs> It did, and it's something that, it's not the first time I've heard it. I, when I was expecting Harry, I got his diagnosis when I was 15 weeks pregnant. So I went through, you know, the majority of the pregnancy knowing, and I would be discussing it with whoever, friends, colleagues, whatever it were. And it's something I've come up against. Someone, once you tell someone that either your child has Down syndrome or you know someone, that you get these sort of anecdotes then of, oh, I know someone down the road who knows someone who knows someone who has Down syndrome and they're great crack and they're always happy and mm. I've heard it before I've heard it many many times before but I suppose now three years down the road and three years of sort of trying to shout my son's worth and his friends and everything it's just if you hear it yeah. I like to take the opportunity now to kind of say that's a real generalisation. It's quite insulting. It's quite patronising to just describe yeah. a whole community as... Observationally, if you're out in a park uh, mm-hmm. or, or anywhere out for a walk mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and you meet a family with a child who has Down syndrome, mm-hmm. you'll see a lot of 
very happy, smiling children. They, they, mm-hmm. Generally speaking, very affectionate, very outgoing mm-hmm. with their affection. It seems, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe that's the, but of course, what you know then, you don't know the underlying health issues, the difficulties mm-hmm. that they have at home. So don't make but the, I, gen- yeah. Yeah, like I have a typical daughter and a son with Down syndrome. If you met the two of them out in the park, the two of them are probably highest kites delighted with life because they're out in the park. If you bring them home, and, I don't know, we're a bit late with the dinner or something, you know, kicks off at home, you can be sure you're going to see a whole different side of happy. Like, there's going to be... Harry has the exact same range of emotions as his sister, as his dad, as myself, as everyone. So there's just this... Again, it's just an old kind of outdated perception that everyone with Down syndrome is happy, happy. Yeah. Can They're I, can, not. Can, 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 we, can, like they have the same range of emotions yeah. as everybody and, else, and a lot of them have a lot of physical difficulty to deal with behind the scenes that you may know yeah, nothing about. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brian Kennedy uh, tweeted in response. Now, I don't know whether it was to your post or generally it was a response to it. No, he hasn't responded to saying that. How dare you attempt to lessen the positivity of the whole video and the Mm -hmm. efforts by all involved and you can lose the patronising tone while you're at it. How Mm -hmm. sad to interrupt such joy with such negativity. How sad. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that? I think that response says a lot about Brian Kennedy possibly. Um, the intention of me raising awareness of the language used in the interview was simply to enlighten or, and I'm not even going to say educate, but just to enlighten people to say, you know, look, it's 2020, maybe this language isn't the best mm. thing to be using, and here is an alternative. Or, listen, if Brian Kennedy doesn't want to take kind of any learning from us, that's absolutely, that's his choice, that's no problem. I've had a few people reply to me and come to my post that oh god I didn't realise that or I didn't know that and I'm it's great now that I know it so look if five other people have come away with it with some new knowledge then okay. that's my bit done you on, know, on the phone someone's asking on the phones someone's asking would you prefer if he didn't lift a hand to help the Down Syndrome community? No and I said that I, w- I held my hand up and said the intention behind the whole piece was fantastic yeah. He was helping Downton and Cork, whose services I avail of, which is amazing. And there's no taking away from the fact that he is standing beside the community. It's just, however, someone with his profile to use language like that, I think it's no harm to say, like, he has a massive following. Ireland AM has a massive following. If a few people from that were to learn that, look, calling someone a Downs isn't really acceptable in this day and age, then... Mm. I don't think it's any harm in standing up for that. Like, it's a marginalised group in society. I don't think adding fuel to the fire using language like that is going to do anyone any good, really. Okay, But All I right. totally accept that he did great things and his song is amazing and the video is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, some of Harry's friends and everything are in it and it's lovely. Um, but it doesn't take away from the fact that like you can't give with one hand and take the other like he did an amazing thing but also maybe he just as I said PJ well intentioned it's just unfortunate that the language used was a bit outdated and doesn't really help us progress the view of Down syndrome as it's not the end of the world it's nothing negative there's nothing down about it it's it's simply a diagnosis it's just a condition so Okay. Okay. Esther then wondering, well said Brian Kennedy, the response he issued. Sure, why would he ever again volunteer his time over the slip of the tongue? And look, 
I appreciate that and my intention isn't in any way to like mobilize an angry mob against anyone in particular for and I don't want it to be a situation where people are afraid to you know people are all saying oh I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing it's not like you can't say the wrong thing if it's in a discussion when someone can say can counteract it or challenge it and say look especially as part as member of the community I think it's Mm. Like if he'd come back and said, "Look, okay, I'm, I appreciate that, and I'll bear it in mind in future." Yeah, that would yeah. have been enough for you. Yeah, it, like that's it. Just take it. That just take an acknowledgement that you weren't looking for an apology. Um, like absolutely not. I listen. If he never, if he never responds to me, it's fine. Five or six other people have, or even more now at this stage, which is more important. You know what I mean? So. If he doesn't, he, he might see if he thinks he said nothing wrong, it's unfortunate. But look, I've said sort of my piece about yeah, it. No, you've, made your, you've made your point yeah. and made it very yeah. clearly. Orla, listen, thank you very much. Orla, Orla Brasser. At me. Home with Harry is the Instagram page people yeah. can look at. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. 1850 We've all made mistakes with the language that we use unintentionally. Jesus, I dance on eggshells here every morning with the way you, you phrase something or you word something. It might have been better if Brian Kennedy had come back with, Crikey, I wasn't aware of that. I'll, I'll do my best not to do it again. If someone said to me, PJ, I don't, you shouldn't refer to such and such as X, Y, or Z. I said, okay, all right, comes from a place, I'll, I'll bear it in mind in future. Not to come back with a response like, how dare you attempt to lessen the positivity of the whole video and efforts by all involved, and you can lose the patronising tone while you're at it. How sad to interrupt such joy with such negativity. How sad. Mind you, if people... Another call says, if people get so overly sensitive about terminology and make such a fuss over it, people will just shy away from discussing that for fear of being cancelled. The thing about Down syndrome is that back in the day, and I'm talking about quite a while ago now, when I was going to school... There was another word used about Down syndrome. I wouldn't even go so far as to repeat it now. But it started with the letter M. You would never even dream of using that word now. So maybe we need to change the thing. And with other particular choices of words. 1850-715-996. Did you know it is World Breastfeeding Week? And did you know that in the time of pandemic, when the World Health Organization is completely weighed down with trying to beat this damn thing, it has taken time to mark World Breastfeeding Week with a statement. So I figure if the World Health Organization is going to take time to mention it, then maybe we should. We'll do that next. 1850-715-996. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. On Thursday, August 6th, John Spillane performs two shows from behind closed doors at the Barras with his band. These special shows will be live streamed on the night and ticketed titled Reeling in the Years with John Spillane. It'll see John and his band play songs old and new from the Gaelic Hit Factory's back catalogue spanning the last 30 years. Access Areas. Northern Irish songwriter Ryan McMullen's May show for Cypress Avenue has been rescheduled for later this December. Anyone with tickets to see Ryan's show can keep them and use them for the new date now set to take place at Cypress Avenue on Thursday, December 3rd. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. 
Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Cork's 96FM. Now, yeah, it is World Breastfeeding Week. And the theme of World Breastfeeding Week is support breastfeeding for a healthier planet, which is an interesting take on the subject. The World Health Organization and UNICEF have come together to call on governments to protect and promote access to skilled breastfeeding counselling, which is a critical component of breastfeeding support. Because even though they say it's the most natural thing in the world, you kind of need to be taught to do it because by all accounts it can be quite difficult to get yourself started properly. Katrina Devereaux is a Quidu best breastfeeding counsellor. Katrina, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? It is something that that people need to be taught, even though you mightn't think you would. Yeah, well, they definitely need to be supported. I mean, you know, having a baby is the most natural thing in the world, but women need a lot of support to have their babies and nobody would say that it's easy. And I think there's a similar parallel to breastfeeding. It's a very natural thing to do. We're all designed, to, all women are designed to do it. Um, but you can come across, you know, bumps in the road along the way and you need to be taught what to do. You need to learn how it works. It's in it's an incredibly simple process on one level, but it's an incredibly intricate and complex and, frankly, amazing process on the other way. Did you have a tough start yourself, Katrina? Yeah, I did. Um, I did. And, um, yes, and I, I looked for a lot of support and I ran places like Quidju, I ran places like La Leche, I spoke to lactation consultants. I I asked for lots of support and if I didn't, if I hadn't been aware of all the benefits of breastfeeding, I probably would have given up. But because I knew it was so important for those early, for that early start in life, I really persevered in it. But the reality is it shouldn't be that difficult to get can, support. Can I maybe ask what the difficulties were? Oh, well, I won't go into it all now because you could take up the whole programme. But it was just, I had, my son had a difficult start. He was in the neonatal unit for a month and it was just, you know, that was a a barrier in itself. But like lots of the problems that people encounter are small things that, you know, nipple pain, um, block dots, poor supply, but they're all easily resolved if you get the support. But if if people offer you and all, if if you're not given the support to continue breastfeeding, the alternative is often offered, which is formalist. And as counsellors, we all we say, you know, there's a breastfeeding solution to a breastfeeding problem. But the reality is, is that women shouldn't actually have to, mm. you know, go to all this effort when you're at the most vulnerable time in your life. It should be easy to get support. It should be available to you. And that's what I think um, the WHO are asking for, is for governments to invest in breastfeeding support mm. and to train healthcare workers and to make it easy for people um, to get the support that they need. And then to, you know, um, reap all those untold benefits um, and they're not untold. We all know what the benefits are. And it's interesting that the WHO, like for years, we've been told breast is best. We all know that. But, you know, it's funny when at the, at the moment, everybody's concerned about public health. It's like the whole world has stopped down because of public health. But we, breastfeeding is one of the most, you know, one of the safest, most effective, mm. proven, inexpensive public health intervention that would reduce all the things that have caused that were we worried about before COVID, yeah. obesity, diabetes, heart disease, all that kind of thing. I sh- I should know this, but I don't. What percentage of of new mothers in in Ireland 
uh, on average, be, uh, breast, choose to breastfeed? Um, so on discharge from hospitals, 50% of Irish infants are exclusively breastfed with another 10% combined breast and formula feeding. Um, and that, But by comparison, Sweden and Norway have rates of initiation of 98 and 95% respectively. Wow. So, so obviously that's, you know, just a huge, huge difference in terms of like what are your, your expectations are. So about half of Irish mothers want to breastfeed. And I think, you know, if, there's lots of reasons why people don't want to, but for that, that, so that 50%, they should be, they should be encouraged and supported as much as they can. But actually it drops down to 15% by the time they get to six months. Do we so know why that happens? There's, oh, as again, you also need a whole morning for this now. I'll come back many other weeks if you want to, that's, you know, to discuss it all. But lots of it is lack of support, um, early supplementation of formula. Um, yeah, mainly those two points. If people, if you, are, you know, if you use um, formula early on, you interfere with the whole breast milk production system um, and you kind of just get off to a bad start. It can be rectified, but it requires you know, support and knowledge and people to help you, people like lactation consultants to unpick what's going on. You know, maybe it's because your baby has a tongue tie. Maybe it's because you're positioning them a little bit wrong. Who knows? Maybe you had a very difficult birth or they had a very difficult birth. There's lots of factors. But with help and support, they can all be overcome. Well, clearly in the other countries they are. Let's stay there, uh, Katrina Devereaux, of course, who you'll know from writing in The Echo every week. Um, uh, Sandra Quinn, uh, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Uh, you've got a, an interesting uh, inter- Instagram post. I think it's Instagram. Pitch, pictures of, of, of bottles for the breast milk bank. What's that? Yeah, the milk bank. Um, so it's based up in the north. Um, and it's basically, I think it's the only one in the country. It is the only one in the country, actually. Um, and it is just a storage facility for breast milk that is given by that milk bank to parents who need it for their babies who are sick or premature or in neonatal units who for some reason or another cannot get breast milk from the mother. So what happens is mothers who are feeding express extra milk and you have to do it within a certain time frame mm. and then you bottle it all up in these special sterile bottles which is always yeah. in the picture, uh, freeze it and then it gets collected by, do you know the the blood bank yeah. couriers, yeah, the yeah. bike guys. Um, the so they come and collect it oh, yeah. and bring it up to the, the bank. Because I always thought, and again, this is one of the things that I would have thought, that you produce enough for baby and that's it. So, yeah, theoretically, I suppose. Um, but there is a wonderful invention um, called the hacker. And without getting too technical, um, when the you're hacker. feeding... That's not a yeah, rugby so, dance, no, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's a silicone pump is what it is. Um, and it's just a small, tiny little device, if you'd even call it a device, uh, essentially like a silicone cup, like a suction cup. And what you do is when you're feeding baby on one side, you pop this on the other side. And what happens is when you're feeding, um, which many people may or may not know, um, feeding on one side stimulates the opposite breast. So there's what's called a letdown. So essentially the other breast kind of leaks milk while baby is feeding off the other side. So what the hacker does is you suction it on and it collects that milk from the other side, which otherwise would just be running away into a breast pad or soaking your clothes. Wasted, in other words. (laughs) Wasted. Um, So what I do at the moment is I'm collecting that extra milk from the other side in the hacker and that is giving me a huge yield and I'm donating it to the milk bank. Okay. And now my little baby Sam is deciding to come in on the interview as well. That's all right. Sam is always welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Katrina and Sandra, I mean, your, your own experiences. Hello, Sam. How are you, Sam? Good morning, Sam. <laughs> your own experiences there, Katrina and, and, and Sandra. Like, 
<laughs> you you had a tough start, Katrina. How, how was yours, Sandra? Um, so mine was rough enough as well, actually. Um, so with Noah, it was. With Sam, it was very straightforward. Um, so Noah is my other son, and he is 17 months old. And with him, he was in neonatal, and so I, um, he was very poor to gain weight. So I actually pumped. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I actually exclusively pumped milk for Noah. Right. Um. Well, so I was continuing. Oh, God, and very that, that line is starting to go on us there. So, uh, uh, that line is starting to go a little bit. <laughs> I think Sam would rather take over the program. I think you've got more on your hands at the moment than. Sorry. Um, your can grand, you hear me there now? Your, yeah, I would hear you yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry now. Um, so basically, um, there was a tongue tie issue and weight loss issues. Oh, it's all right. Um, and it was quite difficult. Um, with Sam, everything was very straightforward. And he latched on straight away. And I suppose that's why I felt I had the freedom and the time to do the milk bank donation. Because with Noah, it was very complicated and it was very stressful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Sam, everything just was plain sailing. So I knew that I had the time and the luxury, I suppose, to do a milk bank donation. Whereas with Noah, it just wasn't. I mean, everything went against us. (laughs) Yeah, how long? And just this is t- t- to you both. Like, how long will you guys continue to breastfeed? How, I mean, again, what's the standard, Katrina? Do you know? Um, well, like the WHO recommends that you breastfeed at least till one month or to one year old. So, um, lots of people kind of have in their heads that six months is the target, but actually, it's six months of exclusive breastfeeding, and then you start introducing solid food and continue to breastfeeding, continue to breastfeed, and then. And you can um, continue to breastfeed beyond, and that is done in many countries around the world. It'd be very, it's quite unusual here, um, but actually there's huge benefits in terms of toddler development to um, breastfeed. Um, both, I suppose, breastfeeding is something that, like you know, we are all the benefactors of millennia of breastfeeding, and humans, and babies, and toddlers are designed to breastfeed you know, up until three, four, five, six, seven years of age, potentially. Um, but the norm here is, well, the norm, I don't even think you can use, compare the to Ireland. Standard, general, if you like. Yeah, in Ireland, I don't think you should even compare that, though, because our rates are so low. Like, our, we have such a poor breastfeeding culture. Yeah. But when you look abroad, lots of people breastfeed to one year and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, we just kind of, Ireland needs to, I suppose there needs to be a huge amount of political will to change the breastfeeding culture. It's not about levelling the responsibility just at women. Societally, we all need to be able to, um, you know, encourage it and, and, and consider it as part of public health. It's not just a woman's thing. It's like this is so fundamental to having a healthy population of the yeah. future yeah. Um, we, that really we need to prioritise it's, it's, it's the numbers that, that's, that strike me, uh, finally, Sandra, compared to other parts of the world. This is the most natural feeding process in, in, in the universe. And, and, and we should be encouraging and enabling people, women, to do it more and more. That's it. I mean, I think what you find is that people, there are a lot of challenges that can be thrown up. And as Katrina said, you do have to sort of seek out that help. Um, now, I had my baby in Limerick because we're almost equidistant um, between Limerick and Cork hospitals. Um, but I also have arthritis and my rheumatologist is in Limerick. So I thought, look, I'll stay with the same hospital just in case there were any crossover complications. Uh, now, thankfully, there weren't. But in Limerick, they're quite well set up in that they have a whole team of lactation consultants who come into you throughout your time in the hospital. So I was very lucky and they run free breastfeeding clinics. Now, I know from speaking to mothers 
from Cork and from other counties that you have to go and seek that help quite actively, whereas in Limerick it is provided. So there is a little bit of, you know, extra work there, I suppose. Um, And just in terms of how long people feed their babies for, I mean, I fed Noah up until he self-weaned, so he decided himself he was done um, at 14 months, and that was when I was heavily pregnant with his brother. Um, But there is no cut-off point, I suppose. Like, I would have kept going if... You know, he hadn't decided he was done. And he's, he's, he's the I'll boss and he's in charge, as, as he has demonstrated more than once in the last few minutes. Listen, I'll leave it there. Sandra Quinn and Katrina Devereaux, thank you both. Just marking World Breastfeeding Week. And the numbers of women in Ireland who breastfeed is actually shockingly low. I would have been very surprised to hear how low it actually was. It's time to vote in the Cork's 96 FM Best of Cork Awards. Go to 96fm.ie, check out the shortlist for all the categories, and vote for your favourite. Your favourite. The Corks 96FM Best of Cork Awards. Only on Corks 96FM. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96FM. Humid! I thought I'd bake in my bed overnight. Humid! It was roasting. Then you wake up with this horrible, dirty, mucky, filthy morning that we had this morning, but hopefully it will improve over the next few days. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. I just want to refer back to the pubs for a second to read Ken's WhatsApp message and wonder, Ken, are you listening to the same programme at all? Ken says, why is PJ so intent on putting all the blame on Michal Martin for the pub closure? It's Neffet advice, and the Cabinet agreed. Well, he's the Taoiseach, and he gets to announce it. He also can agree or disagree with Neffet, but that's a by-the-by. That's a by-the-by. I have no bone to pick at all with his decision. He made his decision. The Cabinet made its decision responding to the advice from Neffet. That is their job. The publicans, a lot of them, are up in arms about it. But, yes, Neffet made the decision, but the announcement is made by the Taoiseach or the Minister for Health of the day so they're the ones who go into the firing line come on now Michal wanted the job, he got the job now he's got to put on the big boy pants and the questions get a little bit harder and the criticism gets a little bit harder too 1850 715 speaking of the pandemic and the Covid and people affected by it I don't want to say there is no other sector which has been harder hit, because I'm, I'm no doubt there is. But the sector that, in my observation, has been hardest hit by this has been the entertainment industry. And over the last number of months, my many, many friends in the entertainment industry have asked me many times to, to, to just keep pushing it on air, that they're the one, they're really, really struggling through this. Because a lot of musicians, yes, they've got another job, they might have a trade or might work in a factory or something. But a lot of them don't. A lot of them are pure professional musicians and that this is their own and, and entertainers and this is their only income. They don't have another job. If you spend that lot, you know, all those years being that good at something, you don't have time for another job. You might even be able to do another job. How do you tell uh, a musician in their 40s, for example, or 30s? Well, you've got to forget everything and go and get another job. And last week, Heather Humphreys, or last the other day, Heather Humphreys, the minister responsible, 
gave the impression that what people should do is Eric Wano and retrain and should do another job while there's no music industry. Now, yesterday she um, she tweeted that it's good to speak to the Music and Entertainment Association of Ireland and clarify the misinformation of recent days. Artists and musicians who are temporarily out of work due to COVID do not need to seek employment elsewhere. Kieran Cannon is a TD, but also a musician. Uh, Kieran, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. And uh, also joined by Jackie Conboy from the, the, the Music and Entertainment Association. Jackie, good morning to you. And good morning to you as well, PJ. I know it's music and entertainment, and I guess many people would say, it's look, it's a luxury in our lives, and it's the luxuries that are suffering. But for you guys, it's, it's particularly you, Jackie, it's bread and butter. Yes, and, and I've been on the road, I suppose, 35 years, and, and maybe I could add on another couple of years, you know, from when I left school. And that, so it's the only industry that I know, and I've worked in, in so many sides of that industry as well. Uh, so I've kept myself within the industry. When was the last time you gigged? Well, it was when, was the 12th, 12th of March, I'd say. <laughs> Do you know, PJ, with the way, it's hard to nearly know what day of the week it is now, because every... Every day is just coming in one to another, and and it seems like only God. It seems um, like this distance thing now of when you know what does my mixer look like now that's in the back of the lorry? Yes, yes, yes. You know, in the back of my Denver's lorry at the minute, and and uh, yeah, it, it, around the twelfth, I think the it, we got closed down. Yeah, you're part of Mike Denver's band. I should have introduced you that way because, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, and and it's it's a tough old time. And you guys, you're on the COVID payment. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, all of our band is on the COVID payment, and then within the group, uh, you have people who are on the COVID payment. You know, the three fifty, and then you have some people that got knocked down to the two or three, and some people then that actually got knocked off completely. And we're dealing with calls from people all the time in relation to this and trying to help them and trying to provide some information and try and get it back for them. Now, were you at this meeting yesterday with Heather Humphrey, sure? I was. I okay. certainly was. Did yes. she say at any point that people like you should get another job? Absolutely not. She, she was completely misquoted. It's taken out of context completely. No. She has... She has a complete understanding of what we do. And one of her best friends is Margot. And they would be talking, I'd say, nearly every day. Oh, the country western so, star of old, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Margot would have her well tuned in as well. I'd say Margot ate the head off her if she did say what she was <laughs> supposed to have said. Stay there, Jackie. Bring in Kieran Cannon. Kieran, good to talk to you again. It's been a while. Likewise, PJ. As, as a musician yourself, and I suppose one who understands legislation having been a TD, like, is it possible to exempt a whole group of people from the rest of having to get others who need to get another job? Well, it's not necessary to do so, and I'm, I'm glad that Jackie has clarified that the minister made no such statement that musicians need to find another job, find another skill. She never said that. She was quite emphatic again in restating that yesterday. Um, what she did acknowledge was that musicians are finding, finding them, particularly musicians um, who operate on a full-time basis, as you pointed out earlier on, this is what puts bread on their table, pays their mortgages. These are full-time professional artists. Uh, that they are uniquely challenged by the ongoing pandemic. Uh, you know, we've extended the pandemic payment now up to the end of March next year. 
which gives them some degree of security of knowing that there is that safety net still there. Uh, but they are, I would argue, uh, the most, if not one of the most, if not the most challenged sector in terms of the unique nature of their work and the fact that the sector they work in would probably be the last sector to return to business, um, yeah. hopefully sometime in the new year. And Jackie, being one of Mike Denver's crew means you guys play big gigs. I've, I've been at a Mike, a Mike Denver concert, like the big gigs, thousands of people. Like, it's going to be a long time before that's back. Yeah, I mean, we will be one of the last, um, I suppose, last kind of bands or stuff to be back into it again because we're dealing with large numbers and we kind of deal with concerts and we deal uh, with dances. Mm. So we have, you know, an outdoor um, uh, festival and things like that. Yeah, and uh, so with the dances, it's unfortunately that looks to be something that's way off in the future as regards concerts you know there might be some hope maybe early next year in relation to that but the problem will be that you know it'll be reduced numbers yeah and that's so it's it's, you know until zero distancing is there you know there's nothing we we can't move and it's look at it's not that we're unemployed we have a job but we're not allowed to do it yeah. You know, so that's that's the basis of it. Yeah, and you, like you said, you don't you don't have a trade. You're not a a tiler or a plumber or an electrician. And I'm talking because I know an awful no. lot of musicians have a trade like that, and that's how they that's how they support themselves in in, in times when they don't have work. You're a full time professional, Kieran. For the full time for the full time professionals, like how long can can we sustain paying out a COVID payment? Well, hopefully as long as necessary. As I say, it's been extended now to the end of March next year, which is, gives significant peace of mind to those thousands of artists up and down the country, particularly as we approach uh, Christmas, which is always a challenge for a lot of families in terms of finances. Um, I mean, the, the Minister pointed out yesterday and indeed in days before that we have to look at, at people who operate in other sectors, not musicians, not artists, but other sectors whose skills may have to be upgraded. I mean, if you remember the last time we had a challenge similar to this back in 2008, 2009, we put in place uh, an entity called Springboard, which allowed for people to look at their existing skill set and seek to reshape it uh, and reorient it so that they could get back into the workplace. And that worked exceptionally well. That's what the minister was referring to. But in the case of musicians and artists, Jackie said, that's what we do for a living. We're simply not being allowed to do it at the moment. It's not possible for us to do it at the moment. So um, I think we have to give musicians um, that sense of security of knowing, first of all, that the government, and in particular the Minister for Social Protection, Minister Humphreys, and the Minister for the Arts, Catherine Martin, they have that deep understanding of how impacted the sector is, and they do, and then are always looking at ways of supporting the sector. So the, minister, the, the minister effectively has said that there is no requirement... For None. people like you, people like you, Jackie, Jackie to to, yeah. to seek another job, correct? No requirement. Let's no bring requirement. in. Let's bring in. Stay there, Kieran and 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 Jackie. Let's bring in Simon McGar, who is a solicitor and and who would query that uh, view. Oh. I believe, Simon. Good morning to you. Good morning. You you think that the minister can't just say no musicians are, are allowed to keep collecting their COVID payment? I think the minister should be able to say it. I think that's the right policy. Unfortunately, it's not the policy that was put into law last week. Um, the, the legislation that the minister brought before the House and which he uh, put it before the doll and which was voted through 
again, the teeth of opposition from the uh, uh, from the opposition parties was that they that people who were in receipt of the PUP in order to qualify for payment had to be actively seeking work. Now that's not what I think it should say, and that hadn't been the case previous to the legislation, legislative provisions coming in, but that's the law that was brought in. Mm. Now, I know that the uh, that there are a number of industries, in fact, a great deal of uh, I- industries where people have been told you can't work because it's not safe to do so. And it's quite appropriate that those people shouldn't have to be seeking work in order to be qu- able to qualify for the PUP. The problem is, that the, the department and the minister have brought legislation forward and have it passed that say something else. And it's not open to the government to create a list of professions which they will exempt from the law. The correct pr- approach is to make the law correct so that these uh, exemptions and this requirement is removed for everybody. So in other words, you're reckoning that the minister has made a bit of a hames of it? Uh, PJ, sorry, if I can just jump in there as well. Uh, back in 2016, uh, it was part of legislation yes, where professional, um, uh, professional artists, job seekers allowance was introduced uh, uh, as regards job seekers. So if someone was actually, uh, it was actually, um, actually uh, Minister Humphreys, I think she was uh, Minister for Arts and Culture at the time, and with the um, MUI, uh, with, uh, through SIP2, they created this, this particular um, thing where people could be on the job seekers and, that, and then wouldn't be actually touched once they were part of, of a, a particular organization. Mm. So that's, that is there uh, since 2016. Right. Just I want to put a, a kind of a devil's advocate notion to, to the three of you. Um, possibly to you in particular, Jackie, being one of the ones worst affected by this. And the devil's advocate notion is this. Lads, you know, it's terrible that the industry is suffering so badly. It really is, and we're all very sorry for you. But we can't sustain constant payment of taxpayers' money when there are jobs, for argument's sake, in Supervalue and Tesco that she could be doing in the meantime. Mm. What do you say to that, Jackie? Well, look at, you know, it's, it's like where, going back in 2008 and the amount of money that was put into the banks. You know, there's, there's, money, there's money there all around us. It's only a matter of, of getting it and bringing it, focusing it in on certain groups like ourselves and that. Within the arts, you know, there's so much money being thrown into the arts, into the arts council and that. And we're kind of saying, well, why can't that money come towards us? Because uh, any of the money that's going into into that, we don't see any of that. Can I just so, say something on that, PJ? Yes, of course, Karen. Yeah. yeah I mean, let's just reflect for a moment on who we're referring to here. We're referring to uh, musicians, uh, all of the people in the technical industry in terms of um, who, who allow us to listen to and experience uh, Ireland's culture, up and down this country every day of the week. Um, our society is deeply enriched by the performance of these artists, be they musicians, be they theatre makers, um, be they whatever in, in terms of, of the industry. And to suggest that 
we now encourage them to, to vacate that space uh, on an ongoing basis. Well, and only until such time as their industry can get yeah, started but, but, again. You, but you can't. You cannot. You, you cannot say to a whole sector of people, a whole cohort of of, of Ireland Irish society, go now find something else to do, and we'll come back to you. Because you, you then deplete um, their numbers. Okay. Uh, you deplete their skills. Uh, you deplete the capacity for Ireland to rebuild in the future. And in terms of rebuilding a fully functioning normal Irish society. Um, music, art and culture has to be a critically important and particularly in terms of our tourism. We say to people all over the world, come to Ireland, we will showcase mm. to you um, the extraordinary talent of our musicians, our artists, particularly our traditional and, 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 and folk musicians. Um, you know, saying to them, well, now, while that's all, while we're awaiting that to happen, go off and, and get a job stocking shelves. That, that is simply not a plausible um, okay. proposition. Okay. Uh, and that is, why, well. uh, that is why uh, you know, Catherine Martin and her predecessor, uh, Josita Madigan, uh, are now committing to investing over 28 million euro in, in arts and culture over the okay. next number of months to s- sustain that sector. And why Minister Humphreys met yesterday with Jackie and Matt McGranahan and was continue to meet and engage with them as well as our officials to see how we can best protect the sector through this very challenging time. That's crucially important that we do that. Okay, let's go back finally to, to, to Simon for one last legal question, I guess. There is no exemption in the law, as, as you point out. You say there should be, but there isn't. There's no exemption in the law. Does that mean so that, that a social welfare officer could take it upon themselves to chase down someone like Jackie? Well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't deal with uh, with an individual, but it certainly means generalisation. It's, it's a requirement in the law that if a person is going to qualify for the PUP, that he or she has to be genuinely seeking uh, 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 employment. Now, that means that if they can't show they're genuinely seeking empo- employment, then they don't qualify under legislation. It's bad legislation. It's not well drafted, and this this one section was the only amendment that was put forward by the combined, I think it was Social Democrats, Sinn Féin and people before Profit, put forward a proposal just to remove that requirement because it was bad, badly drafted and they saw the problems that arose from it. The Minister uh, uh, didn't support that amendment and it was voted down. So this is the law that she insisted on bringing in and we're now seeing the consequences of that law and they're not, it's not available to um, officials or to the minister to make up new legislation contrary to the one that has been passed by the Oireachtas. So the first the, approach okay. here can is, I just, is to can amend I the law in order that it properly reflects the macroeconomic benefits okay. of having a PUP, as opposed to putting everybody on a job seeker. I think Kieran is trying to get in there, finally. Yeah, I mean, the, the genuinely seeking work provision is there in current legislation, has existed in previous legislation. It's my experience of working in my constituency office, working with recipients, is that has always been applied on a common sense basis by the department. People are required, you know, in the first instance, to seek work in professions suitable to their experience, their skill set. And as Jackie pointed out earlier on, uh, under the, um, the, the, the Creative Ireland programme, um, we've now put in place a, 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 a provision whereby um, artists who are uh, on job seekers and, and also on the pandemic payment um, can slowly but surely begin to return to work by taking up work whenever the opportunity arises without it impacting uh, on their, uh, their, their social yeah, welfare that's, support. That's, so the, that's the other worry that was there that if I no, take, particularly from part There's no such thing as an extra legal common sense exemption from legislation. Right. There's no such thing as that. 
Yeah. Well, and, it, hap- and, it happens. I mean, it, 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 it's a it sensible and happen. common it's sense application legal. of the legislation on a daily basis by social welfare officers up and down the country. That's yeah. a very significant statement for you to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 sorry, PJ, before we before we go as well, I just want to let you know that we will be having a Zoom meeting with Minister of State Sean Fleming at one thirty as well to discuss other issues, you know, from okay. his department. Finally, well, Simon, just that, that little anomaly that you pointed out where the minister says there's no need for them to, to be seeking work and the legislation says there is. How is that fixed or is it? Uh, I mean, the correct approach is for the legislation to be amended to remove the requirement to seek work because it isn't appropriate for this payment. Okay, I'm going to leave it there with you all. Uh, Kieran Cannon, TD and musician, Jackie Conboy from uh, <coughs> from the Mike Denver Band and Simon McGarr, solicitor. Look, it's, it's just this thousands of musicians and singers out of work at the moment, haven't gigged since February, doing their level best to make a crust on Zoom or on Facebook or through these little tip jar links on, on Facebook through PayPal. You can give them a couple of bob and as they do an online gig. Some of the biggest artists in the world have started to do it. Dean Friedman, a star of the 70s, has started to do it. The great Phil Coulter is doing a concert at the weekend. Loads of other people are doing online gigs because it's the only way at the moment to get some performing done. But there's the minister saying, no, 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 you don't have to be seeking work. And there's a solicitor saying, well, actually, minister, you can't say that because in their legislation, it says you do. You couldn't make it up, could you? 1850 There's a new book out, a new book about Cork, a new book written by a Cork writer of whom I have become a huge fan. So imagine you are for want of a better expression, a retired serial killer. A what, PJ? A retired serial killer. And you see, in your day job, you're now a security guard in a supermarket. I know. And you see in your day job that there's a new book out by the surviving member of one of the families you tried to wipe out. Now, That's the start of it. And of course, it's all based in Cork. It's another great story from the pen of Catherine Ryan Howard. Catherine, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for that. You've done it again. (laughs) You've done it again. (laughs) I'm glad you think so. It's the the Nothing Man is the name of the new book, and and the, the synopsis is, as it were, that this serial killer has retired or perhaps semi-retired, but has he? And then one of the survivors writes a book, and it goes from there. But it's all set in Cork, as are all of your novels. Yeah, I did go to Dublin for one of them, but we won't make that mistake again. Oh yeah, again. yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that was that, that was the <laughs> liar. That was the liar's that girl. That was the liar's yeah. girl. Yeah, this is all Cork, um, and he, you know, he prays in the suburbs. But the idea of it is that he discovers the book as you described, and he takes a copy down from the shelf and starts reading it. And when he opens the book, you, the reader, turn the page of my novel, and now both you and him are reading the true crime memoir at the same time. So the book is half a true crime memoir that I made up and half the killer's reaction to it as he reads. And it's written in two different fonts. Is that deliberate? 
Absolutely. I wanted, it has its own, the true crime memoir has its own title page, its own copyright number and everything. Even the running heads at the top of the page say Eve Black, who is the victim, um, instead of my name, because I just wanted people to really forget that they are reading fiction. I wanted them to feel like they were reading a real true crime book. So, so while they're reading the story of the serial killer, we are reading it along with the serial killer, and your book is his reaction. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I got the idea because I read I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, which was about the Golden State Killer, mm. just a couple of days after the Golden State Killer was identified, arrested and charged. And there had been a two-month period when the book was out and he was still free and no one knew who he was. And I just became obsessed with the idea, like, did he read the book? When he was uh, active as a serial killer, he paid great attention to his own press. He was obsessed with it. So there's absolutely no way I feel that he would have given up the opportunity to read a whole book about himself. And so if he did, like, what was his reaction? Was he feeling shame? Was he afraid he was going to get caught? Or was he reliving past glories, so to speak? Well, 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 if you're to believe what we have seen in so many television shows and so many documentaries is serial killers are narcissists anyway. Yeah. So love hearing about themselves. themselves. Yeah. 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 yeah, and now obviously there is. I said to you before, you you twist like Harlan Coburn twists. You devil, you bring us down a path. You bring us down a path. You did it in. You did it in Rewind, and you did it in. You bring us down a path. And I went, ah, now I know where this is going. And then you turn the page. Ah, for the love of God, there's a huge twist in this. Well, I don't like promising people twists. And you actually find out on the first page of The Nothing Man who The Nothing Man is. You do. And that is deliberate because, to be honest, I am sick to the teeth of people saying, oh, like, not just about my books, but about books in general, about crime thrillers in general. Oh, I guessed who the killer was. So, you know... Never mind how good the rest of the book was. I figured out who did it. So this is a very deliberate move on my part. I'm telling you up front who yeah, the killer is. But there's, there's more to it guess. than that, Catherine. There's, there's more, more to it than that, but I want people to enjoy these books for what they are yeah. and not be racing through them to see, oh, did I figure out you know, what the ending is or whatever. That's what I'm hoping will happen. Well, I've, not got, I've never gotten one of them right yet. And this is your fourth? <laughs> I do think there's readers out there who pride themselves. I don't know why, because it takes all the fun out of it, but who pride themselves on guessing exactly what's going to happen. If if I I even think that's going to happen, I'd nearly staple the last 20 pages of the book together. Just I can't do it. (laughs) Well, I used to know someone who would read the last page first. I know. I know. know. That ruins it. I don't see the point. I don't see the point of reading after that yet. Okay. So it's all set in Cork and it's it's all the the geography as always you can see it in your head. It's 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 very well put together. And it's it's your fourth novel as as we said. And you've like you've got television coming, maybe movies coming, rewind, for example, which was set I know you said it wasn't, but it had a smell of, it had a smell of Gary Vaux off it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the smell of Gary Vaux. Um yeah, so Rewind has been optioned by Clark and Wild Films. 
I think people will be most familiar with Misfits, which yeah. they made. Um, and they also have a show called Love Sick on Netflix and things. So they have optioned Rewind for TV. Um, and they just seem super enthusiastic. They really want to take advantage of the non-linear structure of the book. Yeah. And, of course, that's all hugely exciting. Yeah, non-linear is one word for it. (laughs) You need to stick with, as you do with all of your books, Catherine. Listen, it's another triumph. It's another great story, brilliantly told, and I wish you well with it, as always. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. That's Catherine Ryan Howard, her new book, The Nothing Man, available now. I see our own Elmarie Ma uh, on Facebook this morning, uh, heading off into the hairdressers um, with The Nothing Man under her arm to keep her going for the next couple of hours. I look forward to getting stuck in to everything that Catherine does every time it comes out. And it's always around the summertime she brings a book out. It's great. 1850-715-996. Is there a problem with air? The 1901 service goes around in circles with the automated service trying to unlock a phone since July the 1st. The menus keep talking you back to the top level after you complete all the details. Oh, God, I had that with another organisation before I went on my holidays. I was trying to get through to a flippant human being and I might still be there. And every time you pressed the option and told you the press, you were sent back to the top of the list again. Pain in the proverbial backside. But apparently it's happening with air on their 1901 number. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Now, the train station at Fota would appear to have been cut off to all vehicles. Uh, Can't get anywhere near it. Which means, how do you commute from Fota? if you can't park your car in the station. And it's causing a bit of bother, and we don't even know why it's happening. Ali Cullinan is with the Belvelli Residents Association. Hi, Ali. Hi, PJ. How are you doing? Good. What have they done down there? Um, well, I have to clarify, it's closed from 5 o'clock. Right. So, um, basically, I think during the lockdown, um, we were very delighted to be allowed to use the gardens and, and walk around that whole space. We were delighted Brian Murphy from um, FOTA very kindly said we could and it was wonderful um, to have that during the lockdown and I think a lot of people started using that little back road to go through a green gate it takes you down to the train station oh, yes. and the hangover from that is that a lot of people are parking on that back road now and it's not suitable, It's you know, it could be a hazard so I understand why the situation's come about the problem is the residents are, I feel, the victims in this because from 5 o'clock, 5.30 every evening and over the weekend, last weekend, the gates are closed to vehicles. Mm. Is this the little no. back road that uh, during the golf competitions you, you could come That's down so off long. the train and up along? Ah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, it's in appalling condition at the moment. If you were to drive through it, the, the potholes are so big you could actually damage your car. And I know this is part of the problem because that road is used also for um, the transport of goods to Photo Wildlife Park. And so there's a lot of heavy trucks go in there. Mm. Um, But as long as I'm living in the area, which is about 25 years now, you know, you can drive to the station. Okay, there wouldn't be a huge amount of space for parking your car, but it's a small area. You're talking about 70 houses. 
So from my own personal experience, like I have two daughters, they get the train, like one of them's in college, so I get the call, mum will pick me up from the train station, so I'll go and pick her up. You know, I'm, I'm not a taxi service, thank goodness we have a train service, we don't have a bus service. Yeah. Um, and the problem is, after five o'clock, if this continues, I'm not going to be able to collect them from the train station. It's, it's How just close under to two the station kilometers. can you get? Um, two kilometres. Two kilometres. Two kilometres. And the problem is that road is unlit. It's quite deserted. I wouldn't like to walk there in the dark myself. You know, and I definitely wouldn't expect a younger person to do so. I wouldn't expect anybody to really. It's not... No lighting whatsoever. It's pitch dark. Right. Has um, anyone been on to Irish Rail about it? I believe um, one of my neighbours has been, but we're just waiting to hear back. You know, because do you know of any train station in the country where you can't, you can't get access after five o'clock? Vehicular mm. access. Yeah. The, 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 we're allowed to walk there, but yeah. we're not allowed to drive. So. But it's meant to be a commuter line anyway. So, so well, that, the, the natural thing is you drive to the station to pick someone up off a train like you do. or you For drive. years. Drive yeah, to park, absolutely. get the train to work. That's what we're told we're supposed to do, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, we're, we're trying not to use our own cars. We're trying to be more PC and be more environmentally friendly. And in Bell Valley, the only public transport that we have is the train. Now, yeah, I can drive the three plus kilometres up to the next stop in Carrigaloe or I can go to Glanton. But I live in Bell Valley and why can't I use the train in Bell Valley after five o'clock in Tosha? Yeah. You know, it's the nearest stop to me. Seems a bit. It so, seems a bit mad. I do understand the position that that um, Photo House is in, but I don't feel the residents should be punished as a result of of something that's that's occurred. I really don't. Mm. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people in the area with the young kids who are coming up, and they'll be the next generation who'll be hopping on the train. Grand on a summer's day, it's a pleasure to walk to the train and a pleasure to walk home. Mm. But it's the winter nights will start coming in, oh, yeah. and oh god, that, I that, wouldn't that, that let my girls. Walk no, that there. doesn't that doesn't bear thinking about, Ali. There was chaos down there yesterday morning. And I was watching my Twitter yesterday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And the accident that caused... Well, this is the problem. I mean, the road itself is incredibly busy. I live on the actual road. When we moved there 25 years ago, we were told it'll be a by-road. There's plans for a new road and you'll actually nearly be able to walk on the road outside your house. And the opposite has happened. It's gotten busier and busier. I mean, you can imagine it was bliss during lockdown because it was so quiet. And then everything is back. And we don't even have the liners back. Yeah. And it's still chaos. I get half five yesterday morning, this accident happened. And look, accidents mm-hmm. happen. Things happen they all do, the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. It happens at half five in the morning. And they were just about clearing it at four o'clock in the afternoon. That doesn't make sense. No, I mean, there were people on the photo road. Um, the one, my, one of the people who lives next door to me left her house and I texted her to see how she was getting on and she was gone an hour and she was still only by the bridge which I would have walked to in two minutes mm, yeah. it was it was crazy I mean well, God love anybody who had to be anywhere Wayne, Wayne Hilton made his debut as opinion line presenter yesterday morning because poor old Deirdre was caught in the traffic coming up you know? <laughs> <laughs> well this is it I mean you have to remember Cove is an island we have two entrances we have the bridge that lovely beautiful historical piece mm. and we have the the ferry and that's yeah. it and there's so, a thing it doesn't bear thinking about if there had been a medical emergency on the island yeah. yesterday what no. would have happened helicopter helicopter you <laughs> i'm not hope. kidding you yeah. helicopter is the only thing i could think of because you wouldn't have been able to get in and it's about you know, time I, I remember during during storm ophelia 
and, yeah. and other storms, but particularly Ophelia, people were terrified mm. that the, the road down there by Bell Valley would, would actually fall into the water. Like if, yeah, if, if coal was cut off by anything happening on that Bell mm. Valley Road photo road, you're cut off. Yes, I know. They really need to address it because there are going to be those developments planned for what used to be Marino Point, which is going, is now going to be called Del Valley Port. But there's plans for that and we're talking 40 extra HTV trucks coming in on a daily basis as well, on top of all the liner traffic, on top of everything else. So it's going to be a very overused road. Yeah. And at the moment, it's not fit for purpose. But for that even makes the point that we should be using public transport more. And we can't. Because, yeah. Well, we won't be able to after five o'clock in the evenings. And I know, like, not everybody in the area uses the train, but a lot of us do. And especially coming into the winter when the kids are back in college or in school or whatever or going to work, that's when it's handy, you know? Okay, well, and we we'll do see, use we'll it. We also have a query in. Thanks, Ali. Ali Cullinan from the Bell Valley Residents Association. And there was chaos at Pillimaloo, Carmageddon, call it what it was, yesterday morning. Half five in the morning, there's an accident happened with a truck down there. And four o'clock in the afternoon, they're just about clearing up the, the traffic jams. That That's laughable. Laughable in a modern world. And if there had been a major disaster, what would have happened? We have a query in with Cork County Council about the emergency plan, whatever one they have for Great Ireland. Like population of 15,000, one road in, one road out. What would happen in the event of a major emergency? We've asked Cork County Council for a comment. 1850 996 Some of those gigs we were mentioning to you. Um, it says, thanks for talking about the plight of the entertainment industry. Just wondering if you could plug some of them. Uh, none of them have a tip jar because of, they might upset the COVID payment. It's just to keep us going, playing, keep us in the public eye. Perhaps people might consider us in the future for events as we entertain them during the crisis. And indeed, I hope they do. I think looking at particular Tony Milner. Good old Tony does a weekly gig on Friday at uh, half seven as Tony Milner Music on Facebook. And Tony and his lovely wife, Audrey, uh, they are the Velvetones. They do a gig on Sundays at eight. They're brilliant. And my old pal, Jimmy Lee, uh, Jim Ganey, he does a nine o'clock gig on a Saturday uh, on Facebook. You have to look for Jim under his name, Oscarilga, which is Seamus J.G. O'Gavenig is where you'll find it. I know, I know, I slag him about it. Seamus J.G. O'Gavenig is where you'll find his kick on Facebook on Saturday. And anybody else who wants us to mention it, we'll be happy to do it. Opinion at 96fm.ie. Try to keep our entertainment industry going. Listen, before I go, can I mention his funeral is on at the moment in Derry. He was a man of peace. Peace, peace, peace. It was all he dreamt of all his life. And, and he helped to achieve it. And we should never forget the massive contribution to Irish peace of John Hume. Uh, and as he is laid to rest uh, today in Derry, I just thought I might finish with something. Uh, he was awarded the, the Nobel Peace Prize, as you know, himself and David Trimble for their work on the Good Friday Agreement. I have a clip from a speech he gave around that time about peace and about difference. And I also wanted to play a quick line of a song. He's been played out of the church with a line from a song, The Town I Loved So Well. So I thought I might meld those together. And as we say farewell to a national hero, uh, farewell, rest in peace, and thank you, John Hume. Difference is an accident of birth. 
None of us chose to be born. And we certainly didn't choose to be born into any particular community. There's not two people in this hall who are the same. There's not two people in the whole world who are the same. Difference is of the essence of humanity. And therefore, respect for difference should be very, very normal and very common. But it is the first and deepest principle of real peace. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Fergal. See you tomorrow, just after night.